Camtech uses a co-creation model to accelerate the cycle from idea to patient impact and commercialization by convening experts in clinical medicine, public health, engineering, design, business, and government. In a way, Andrea Ippolito puts a face on Camtech's co-creation model. She currently serves as the executive director of the engineering management program at Cornell University, and she's held positions at the Department of Veterans Affairs, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy and General Services Administration, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and Boston Scientific. She's also the co-founder of Smart Scheduling, which Athena Health acquired in 2016. In episode 7 of CamTech Chats, we'll hear from Andrea about innovating in these different sectors, discuss the importance of failing fast, and learn about her challenges and successes as a woman working in innovation. My name is Andrew Blito, and I'm currently the Executive Director of the Engineering Management Master of Engineering program here at Cornell University. And as part of this role, I also have the great opportunity to be a faculty member over at the Johnson College of Business in, in with our entrepreneurship classes. So I have like an appointment at engineering and also at our business school. And it's just such a great to be here to really train the next generation of engineering managers and leaders. Um, more than ever, we need strong engineering managers and leaders to tackle some of the large socio-technical issues that this world faces. And so our work here is to really train this next generation and arm them with not only the technological and, and engineering skills, but also with the strong business managerial communication and presentation skills that uh, engineering leaders need. And prior to coming to Cornell, I was a presidential innovation fellow at the White House Office of Science and Tech Policy, where my appointment was at the Department of Veterans Affairs, where I led a team and directed a team called the Innovators Network. And this Innovators Network's vision and goal was to create a safe space for VA employees to tackle new ideas, new approaches, new innovations to create a better experience for veterans and their families. And one of the ways we did that was through training our employees on design thinking and entrepreneurship. And we also created a platform called the Spark Seed Spread Innovation Funding Program to really invest and support development of new innovations to better serve veterans and their families. And prior to that, I was at MIT as a grad student where I co-directed this initiative called Hacking Medicine, which was to bring together engineers with clinicians and designers and scientists and entrepreneurs to create disruptive healthcare solutions. And out of that initiative, I co-founded a company called Smart Scheduling that eventually got acquired by Athena Health, which is a health IT platform. Um, and my background is as a biomedical engineer, and so I worked in medical devices before that. So you've had this really interesting background in the government sector and engineering and business. Where in your training did you first start to see the importance of how all of these different disciplines intersect and kind of the role that that plays in innovation? Great question. I first started seeing where all these intersect when I was a biomedical engineer at a medical device company called Boston Scientific. And I was a benchtop scientist looking at the impact of our medical devices implanted into the human body, looking at the impact of these devices on the surrounding cells. And what I learned there is that it wasn't just about the technology. 
I think as engineers, we're thought to think about the technology, but what was really impacting our patients was not just the technology, but was the system surrounding the technology, whether that was healthcare policy or reimbursement systems or workflows within the operating room when they were getting and receiving this device. And so that was when I first got introduced to the fact that it wasn't just about the technology, but it was about the system surrounding that technology. And so that's why I wanted to go to grad school to really understand about technology in the healthcare space from a systems perspective. And when I was there, I got further introduced to this when I was doing work really looking at the telehealth systems within the military health system to create a better system for service members and their families to receive mental health care, especially surrounding post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's when I really saw that in healthcare in particular, you really do need to understand things from a systems perspective and bring together diverse stakeholders and use innovation tools like design thinking and entrepreneurship to tackle these really hard, gnarly problems. So you have, I guess, when I'm thinking about your background, I'm really thinking about it in kind of a cell to society approach. Like you've worked at Boston Scientific and also, you know, at higher levels in the government. What are some of the differences that you've seen in working in design thinking and innovation at these different levels, whether it's, you know, in sciences or engineering, but also in government? Well, what I would see that's common to both of them, as I'll start there, is that there's almost a lack of the customer perspective in both. And that's changing, by the way. But when I first started as an engineer, it was all about the technology and all about where the business opportunity was. And, and that's when you see glimpses of the customer perspective there and how will we make this something attractive to customers so that there's a strong return on investment. And so I feel like the sales and marketing teams were using design thinking a lot to really think about how do we design medical devices to be attractive so they can make the sale. But I feel like when I was an engineer, that was really lacking. There was this big divide between engineers, sales and marketing, and customers. And it was almost like, our organization was scared <laughs> to have the engineers and scientists speak with customers for fear of losing them as customer. And I get the business rationale there, but research has shown time and time again that by bringing together engineers with the business team, with the clinicians, with the customers, you're able to develop more effective uh, devices and innovations and solutions. And not only are you able to develop more effective solutions, but you're also able to develop it more efficiently because there's less rework and you'll have a higher adoption whatever you develop. Um, and, and in government, government is a fantastic platform that creates real impact for everyone. And I would say that's the biggest difference between private industry and government that I witnessed. In private industry, you're laser focused on your customer segment. Government can't do that. Government needs to serve everyone. And with that comes a responsibility, and with that comes some challenges in figuring out how to design systems and perspectives that can serve everyone. Now, government, because it is this behemoth and it is serving everyone, 
oftentimes systems develop without the customer's perspective, without that design perspective. And so thankfully, I was part of a large effort within the government to think about how can we design better, more customer-centric government systems and experiences. And so I was lucky to be on the team of the VA that was doing a lot of efforts led under our secretary, Bob McDonald, who was the former CEO of P&G. So everything he had done from that perspective was working with customers, using design thinking, using that perspective. And so he really wanted to bring that customer-centric thinking, that design thinking perspective. And so a lot of our work at the VA was going out and working with veterans, listening to veterans, understanding their needs, understanding their families' needs, and then trying to transform the VA to be more customer-centric. One of the big things we heard from our customers, which were veterans, is that the VA was a system that had just been built on over time and wasn't really designed with veterans perspective. And so I was part of a, a, a team, a transformational effort at the VA where how might we shift the VA to be designed around veterans needs and then our bureaucracy and our systems could then be built to meet those needs. Well, Andrea, you're, you're well known in Camtax Network for innovating this smart scheduling. And for those who don't know what, is, what it is, could you talk a little bit about what that innovation is and how you um, kind of came to design that solution? Absolutely. So smart scheduling was a system that was built to predict no-shows to medical practices. And it was to solve the need that we heard from patients, that we heard from clinicians, that on average about one in five patients tend to no-show to their medical appointments. And there's a number of reasons for that. And we heard from clinicians that this creates an issue within their clinics because then um, they tend to double or oftentimes triple book appointment slots to compensate for the fact that there's this one in five no-show rate. And oftentimes when they do double book or triple book, all the patients show up at once. This leads to long waiting lines in the waiting room that really decreases and, and really hurts the patient experience and also creates a lot of stress on the provider side because then they have shorter appointments, they're running behind, they're overworked, um, and their, their satisfaction goes down as well. And, and with that, the quality of care goes down. So we thought in this day and age with big data and all of, it, all of these systems out there, there's got to be a way to predict who's likely to no-show. And then if you can predict that, then you can search support. You can call them more. You can send them text reminders. Oh, and or in the case that it's very important that they attend their appointment, you could send transportation because transportation has been shown to be one of the main reasons why people tend to no-show their appointments. And so, or you could use other types of technologies like telehealth to, uh, to serve support to a patient in their own home. Like, is that going to be another reason, travel time and, and also just not wanting to come into a medical appointment? So we developed an algorithm that predicted who was likely to no-show. So then medical practices could then outreach to those patients to really make sure they attend their appointment. And this is good, first and foremost, for the patient because it gets them to their appointment to get the care they need. Uh, secondly, this is good for providers and their associated teams and staff 
because then they have a more predictable schedule, more planned schedule. And also it's good for the bottom line of medical practice as well so that they don't lose that revenue as well. So from a systems perspective, it really does help meet patients' needs. And so smart scheduling, we're an algorithm that is built into health IT systems. So we were acquired by Athena Health. And so this is now part of Athena Health's platform for medical practices. Well, before you were acquired by Athena Health, you had, you know, designed or you had innovated this algorithm, designed this algorithm, built it at a Camtech hackathon that you didn't win, but then you went on to win in another sense by selling it to Athena. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk about the importance of failure and failing fast. Not that you failed by not winning the hackathon, but what does that say to innovators who are just getting started in uh, innovating medical technologies? I would say that when you're developing a new innovation, you're going to encounter a number of barriers. <laughs> One of our very first barriers was that at Acton, we did not win. And that's okay, because when you're developing health systems, it's so important that you work with customers and understand your needs. So at the hackathon, we still had a lot to learn, and we had a lot to learn from customers. We had a lot to learn about broader healthcare efforts. And so we used our, actually we won a $100 spot prize. So we didn't win or place at all, but I think the judges felt bad for us because they could see that we really cared. And they gave us this $100 spot prize. And we used that heat meeting, we used that for food at our first meeting after the hackathon. And we really wanted this to work because we saw a need there. And so what I would say is that as a health care innovator, you're going to encounter a lot of issues. Um, these are systems that are really tough to tackle. But with that comes a huge opportunity to create a real impact. And so losing the hackathon was a, one of our first tests in a very long, long, long journey to learn how to persevere and fight through some of the intensities that we tackle as a healthcare entrepreneur. And what we learned from that experience is to collect feedback and, and listen to feedback and learn from it and then to continue going forward. I think as a healthcare entrepreneur, you need to learn how to listen and roll with what you're hearing from your customers and other stakeholders. And if you don't learn that skill, then it's going to be really hard for you to be a healthcare entrepreneur because you're not going to have all the answers. You need to learn how to listen and evolve and iterate. Well, Andrea, you have solved a lot of problems, um, not only with smart scheduling, but also um, in business and public health and medicine and government. And part of the conversation that Camtech is having is um, around women solving problems and using innovation. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about both the successes and the challenges that you faced as a, work, a woman working in this field. This is a great question. So first of all, I've been very lucky to be a biomedical engineer. And on average, there's 50-50, if not more women in biomedical engineering um, compared to the other types of engineering. And, and this is not surprising whatsoever because women want to work on things that make an impact. And biomedical engineering is a perfect example of a type of engineering that make an impact. You see the same 
working with environmental engineer, engineering and you see somewhat similar in chemical engineering, which tends to work on energy. So not surprisingly, the impact-oriented uh, engineering disciplines have higher percentages of women. Now, I will say that as a woman, I've started noticing it more and more, and maybe it's awareness, maybe it's the fact that I am, um, I guess, becoming more of a leader in this field, is that there are some structural issues with being a woman in engineering and being a woman in engineering leadership. So, and the first ones is that how, how business, how entrepreneurship is done to date is a lot about what people call hustle. And people translate hustle into working crazy hours, meeting over drinks, um, meeting and spending a lot of time networking in the evening hours. Now, as a recent mom, that is extremely hard for me to do. Um, with a newborn, with kids in general, not just a newborn, the time is precious. And that time is in, isn't for my daughter. And so having to meet and network in off hours is, is not structurally easy for me. Um, and when you're a startup entrepreneur or a woman in existing startups, how business is done is in the evening hours. And so I will say that there are structural issues for both parents, not just women, but in particular, I think we see this a lot with with moms is that it's hard to engage in these activities and as we probably all know that's when a lot of deals are made or networking happens relationships are built um, one of my personal strengths is that i have a lot of energy and enthusiasm and that has been told by many people to me that that is the number one asset i have now that, that persona that archetype typically what you see in business or in engineering. And I don't know if this is a male or female thing, but my energetic persona, um, I would say has been such an asset that I have been told many, many times that I need to tame my energy down because it makes me seem juvenile, it, it makes me seem less serious, it makes me seem like less of someone that is the typical persona that you see as a leader. And that's one of those tensions that personas and archetypes need to evolve. Because I think people have this image of what a leader looks like and someone that's very energetic, whose head's nodding, whose voice fluctuates, um, who's very loud. Um, that's not a persona that people see in leadership. And it's one of those tensions you need to figure out what are your strengths? Who are you as an individual? What do you value? But then what are your team members value? And I've been told time and time again that this is the number one thing I bring to the table. And so while people have told me that's something I need to improve upon, I actually see it as my number one strength. Is this detracting from my ability to execute or is that just bias? So that's an example of something that is a little, it's not spoken as much about, but it is happening behind the scenes that you need to disentangle. Well, thanks so much for sharing your, your personal story and helping us kind of think about how that feedback and criticism personally and professionally can be gendered. And it, it made me think of 
episode six of CamTech Chats, where we spoke with our youngest innovator at the CamTech Uganda MedTech Hackathon. And she was nine years old and she was uh, coming and joining teams at the hackathon to innovate around community health. And in thinking about some of the examples you just shared, what advice would you have for other girls like her, other women entering this space about you know, the successes and the barriers that women face in this field? The advice I would give to people that are just starting out or are out there already is just be true to yourself. Figure out who you are as an individual, what strengths you have, and be relentlessly vigilant about not changing who you are and your strengths. I would say if you do that, then you will be able to succeed in your goals and in your vision, or at the very least, you'll be happy with who you are. I think where people get into trouble is they try to craft themselves into someone they're not, or they try to craft themselves into someone that they think they need to be based on stereotypes. And so I would say is when you're learning or growing, figure out what your strengths are. And for me, that didn't come naturally. That took me a while to figure out what my strengths are. Listen to the feedback you're getting from others and, and also follow what you're passionate about. Follow what you enjoy doing. I've had a whirlwind of a career, and I still have a long way to go, by the way, where I've danced in large companies in, in, that are engineering-based. I've been in government. I've been an entrepreneur. I've been in academic settings. I've been in the nonprofit world. And I've tried to figure out what path I really enjoy the most. And I'm still figuring that out. But what I can tell you is that I have a good sense of what my, my strengths are and what I enjoy doing and what I'm passionate about. So I would say is when you're trying to navigate these issues, figure out who you are, what you're what you care about, what your strengths are, and really have horse blinders on when people give you feedback that aren't in line with who you see yourself as and what your strengths are. Well, you have had a whirlwind of a career, and I'm uh, wondering who some of the mentors who have helped you kind of uh, follow this path in different sectors uh, around innovation. Could you help us think through some of the mentors you've had both women and men who have shaped your, your role in STEM? Yeah, it's a great question. And I have a couple different ways to answer this. So first and foremost, my mom has been my number one mentor and role model. You know, I was really lucky. I was the daughter of two engineers and my mom is an electrical engineer and, and she was an electrical engineer at a time that there weren't a lot of women electrical engineers. And so, you know, directly and indirectly during my childhood, teenage years, college and beyond, she was such a force and mentor role model for me. And I think that is the, one of the number one things that I'm seeing now is that we need to point to and give access to role models uh, for women and other underrepresented minorities so that they see someone that looks like them, they see someone that they can be to be a, a spirit guide in whatever their career trajectories are. So along my career path, there has been a, a long list of both female, but in particular, I will say in my 20s, uh, 
there's been a lot of male mentors and role models that literally picked me up and pushed me into my next career path. And so that's one thing I'll say is, is really surround yourself with mentors that are willing and able to push you in a new direction when you're hesitant to do so. Andrea, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. We've had really interesting conversations with Camtech's network in Uganda and Kenya and Boston and New York and India. And I think that you've brought such an interesting perspective to this conversation around uh, women's role in innovation, but also your work in engineering and public health and design and business. So I think that this will be such a great tool for other innovators in our network. Uh, to hear from you. So thanks again so much for taking the time to join us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to Camtech for all that you've done for so many people.